Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today, we're going to talk about Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. It's something that we're hearing more about, so today we get the facts from those that are the experts, both professionally and those with lived experience. ASD is a neurodevelopmental disorder that impacts brain development. The result is that most individuals experience communication problems, difficulties with social interactions, and a tendency to repeat specific patterns of behavior. They may also have marked restricted range of activities and interests. Individuals on the autism spectrum tend to have varying degrees or combination of symptoms and therefore therapy must be specific to the individual. It's also important to keep in mind that children, teens and adults with autism vary widely in their needs, skills and abilities. So there's no standard type or typical person with an autism spectrum disorder. According to a national survey, it's estimated that 1 in 54 children and youth between the ages of 5 and 17 have been diagnosed with ASD, but those rates are even higher here in Newfoundland as we'll hear. Today we talk with Paul Walsh, CEO of the Autism Society of Newfoundland, to learn more about the amazing work they do, as well as Michael So, who has ASD and has overcome many obstacles in his journey to graduating from university and working in the community. Paul Walsh was born and raised in St. John's and joined the Autism Society after a 35-year career in private enterprise. He has a strong history of advocacy for the rights of persons with disabilities and for the concepts of equity, inclusion, and the dignity of the person. Paul's lifelong personal experience with disability and his determination to overcome obstacles made him the perfect choice as the CEO for the Autism Society. He joined me from his office to talk about his new role and what we need to know about ASD. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate the chance to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. You're with the Autism Society of Newfoundland and Labrador. Can you tell me a bit about your role there? Well, I'm the Chief Executive Officer of ASNL. This is a brand new role for me. I started on the 4th of January. Came from the corporate world. I've been in the corporate world for about 35 years, 33 of them with Newfoundland Power. But I've been a person who's been very active in the disability community. I identify as a person with a disability, and I've been a volunteer and an advocate for a number of years, including three years as the chair of the Provincial Advisory Council on the Inclusion of Persons with Disabilities. That's excellent. Sounds like the right person to talk to and the right person to be leading the charge over Autism Society. Can you, you. can you explain to folks exactly what autism is? Well, autism or autism spectrum disorder, which I'll most often refer to as ASD, is defined as a lifelong neuro, neurodevelopmental condition that affects how individuals relate to people, situations, and their environment. It's considered a spectrum, and that just means it impacts every person differently. And though I know this is used in a lot of ways, the old expression is, if you've met one person with autism, then you've met one person with autism. Mm. Uh, it, it's very different for each person, and each person has unique strengths and unique needs, and it affects their lives in many different ways. The core deficits generally relate to things like difficulties with communication, social interaction, and sort of what we call adaptive behavior functioning or, or social, social behavior. Mm -hmm. and, and how common is autism? Because in Newfoundland, the rates are quite high, right? According to the Public Health Agency of Canada, Newfoundland has the highest rate of autism at one in 57 births. 
157 members of the population, I should say, are diagnosed with ASD in Newfoundland and Labrador. Nationally, that statistic's about one in 66. Mm-hmm. Do they have any idea of what the causes of autism are? There's some research around, around autism from the point of view of um, what, how it occurs so frequently, um, specifically to causes. Uh, it's, it's not a disease per se. So is there, are there genetic links? Well, there are certain things, but nothing hasn't really been totally connected. But there's a lot of research ongoing on autism, how it occurs, and indeed why the frequency is the way it is. Mm. So if somebody is diagnosed with autism, how does it manifest? How does it progress? Because I feel like parents become more aware their child may have autism as they develop. It's most often... Um, most often appears in early childhood, uh, can be diagnosed as early as 18 months, but can indeed there are adult diagnoses. A person can be diagnosed at any age, depending how the diagnosis presents itself. Um, the first thing parents will probably notice is an inability of, of their child to focus on routine, um, maybe having sleep difficulties, different difficulty transitioning from one thing to other, playing with toys maybe in a manner that may be not deemed appropriate perhaps lining a car up in, in a steady way instead of driving it around, for example, something like that. But they can, yeah, maybe a behavior about being really attached to something that, that people are saying, well, that's not sort of what we would have expected. So those are some of the things that are sort of the early clues for parents to say there is, uh, there's a need to, uh, to investigate. And you had mentioned that there's a spectrum. So it is difficult to be able to identify where somebody falls along that spectrum. Could you sort of give me a range of what sort of severe autism would look like versus a lower degree of autism? Well, we try to tend to look at it as requiring substantial support at a level regarding communication and behavioral, somewhat reduced support at those things, and then less support. Mm -hmm. So at a very high level requiring substantial support the person may be nonverbal, meaning they don't speak. So there's very severe uh, limitations in general functioning, social interaction, the overtures socially that, that you and I would respond to, there might be very minimal reaction to. An example would be a person who has few words doesn't initiate an inter- interaction generally. Mm-hmm. So, they may make an unusual approach towards someone that someone's not expecting. Also, you'll see very, very stricter behavior, very repetitive behavior, a lot of difficulty coping with change. And we're seeing this a lot in in the pandemic and whatnot, and just difficulty functioning on all spheres. So that's at the very, the very high requirement level. Somebody sort of, I'll call it at level two, might have some ability to speak, but there's marked deficiencies in that. Where they're able to interact better with supports in place socially, uh, their their ability to uh, to respond to overtures from others might be somewhat somewhat improved. And then at level one, there's still a need for some help regarding social communication and whatnot. But again, with with supports in place, there's the uh, a higher ability to to react in social settings. Anyone who meets the criteria for having ASD will be further diagnosed as either level one, two, or three. These levels are based on a person's strengths and limitations in regards to their ability to communicate, adapt to new situations, expand beyond restricted interests, and manage daily life. 
Level 1 ASD is the mildest and most high-functioning form of autism. Children with level 1 ASD have a hard time communicating appropriately with others. For example, they may not say the right thing at the right time or be able to read social cues and body language. People with ASD level 2 will have more obvious problems with verbal and social communication than those diagnosed with level 1. Likewise, they'll find it harder to change focus. They might, for example, get very upset when they have to move from one activity to the next or to leave school at the end of the day. Children with level 2 tend to have a very narrow interest and engage in repetitive behaviors that can make it difficult for them to function in certain situations. Level 3 is the most severe form of autism. Children in this category will manifest many of the same behaviors as those within level 1 and 2, but to a more extreme degree. Problems expressing themselves both verbally and non-verbally can make it hard to function, interact socially, and deal with the change in focus or location. Engaging in repetitive behaviors is another symptom of level 3 ASD. Let's get back to our interview with Paul to learn more about autism spectrum disorder. Right, and I think we've probably all interacted with an individual with autism, and we can speak for that, that there are different levels of being able to communicate, and I'm sure parents will become very aware very quickly of what degree their child has. When it comes to treatments, because it's not a disease, are there treatments for autism and can you explain what they are, if there are any? Well, because it's not a disease, we wouldn't use the word treatment. There are treatments for autism. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an important thing for people to remember, that it's not something we treat. It's not something that can be cured. Mm -hmm. Autism is a way of life mm -hmm. for people with ASD. So there's interventions and therapies that can be used. Uh, one of the things that we use is called applied behavioral analysis. Speech-language pathology is something that's used quite frequently to assist in the communication process, a lot of occupational therapy, and really helping people, the person with ASD and those around them, understand their diagnosis. And I, the only way I can explain something like that is, I, I said earlier, I, was a, I identify as a person with a disability, and that's a disability I have from birth. That's the reality of my life. This is the reality of life for a person with ASD. So helping them and their family understand that this is not something that's going to go away. This is not something that's going to be cured. This is the reality of, of, our, of your life. And you live your life to the fullest within that reality, just like any of us who have a disability do. That's Paul Walsh, CEO of the Autism Society of Newfoundland and Labrador. When we come back, we'll dive deeper into the history of autism spectrum disorder and its ongoing evolution in today's society. We'll also be joined by our special guest, Michael So, who shares his personal experience with ASD and how he has succeeded despite certain challenges. We'll be right back after the break. Autism itself is definitely not a new phenomenon, but the way it's defined is in constant evolution. Researchers have realized that many people slip between the cracks of traditional tests because of their culture, their gender, their ability level, or even their social environment. For example, Canadian children are generally expected to look people in the eyes as proof of their attention. But in some families and in several cultures, direct eye contact is considered impolite. Because of various social norms, it would be impossible to use this trait to identify an autistic child. In a similar way, a very shy young child may not alarm their parents. 
or a child who quickly learns to mimic their peers masking their artistic traits may go unnoticed. It could also be assumed that a person who can't speak doesn't understand language and that another person who isn't able to control their body to accomplish simple tasks isn't willing to. Even with today's clear criteria, autism isn't always easy to diagnose, especially since this neurodevelopmental divergence is often accompanied by other conditions such as intellectual disabilities, anxiety, ADHD, depression, OCD, bipolar disorder, or borderline personality disorders. The word autism is from the Greek word autos and was first coined by a Swiss psychiatrist who was working on defining schizophrenia. The core meaning withdrawn within oneself inspired another Soviet psychiatrist to write about six different patients she had seen at her Moscow clinic, all of whom would perfectly fit today's description of autism. She published an article in 1925 that was largely overlooked until recently. And it's also believed that Hans Asperger may have read this article, but he didn't credit her when he published his 1944 paper about autistic traits that bear his name today. Over the years, many researchers have worked on identifying factors that cause autism and find ways to prevent or cure it. But the consensus at this point is that autism is a neurodevelopmental condition. It's not a disease and it can't be cured. The potential causes are still poorly understood. The objective when helping people on the autism spectrum should be to treat concomitant issues and to increase their quality of life and happiness. Autism spectrum disorder encompasses conditions which were previously considered to be their own conditions, including Asperger's syndrome, autistic disorder, childhood disintegrative disorder, or what's referred to as pervasive developmental disorder. One of the most recent developments in the history of autism is self-advocacy, a movement created to push for more understanding and an inclusive society for the neurodivergent. Self-advocates are adults from all parts of the spectrum who can express what it means to be autistic from first-hand experience. Today we have a special guest, Mr. Michael So. Michael is well known around St. John's and especially popular at Memorial University where he studied. As we'll hear, Michael moved from Hong Kong in 1994 and grew up here in St. John's. Michael has ASD and although he's faced several obstacles in his life, we'll learn that through hard work and perseverance, he was able to get his bachelor's degree at Memorial University. Michael's perspective on living with ASD and how he was able to seek out the supports he needed from the community are an amazing example of his favorite quote by Confucius. It doesn't matter how slowly you go, as long as you don't stop. Well, Michael joined me via Zoom for our chat. Let's check it out. Hi, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for coming here today. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience with autism, but can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay, my name is Michael So, but my Chinese name is So Puyun. I born in Hong Kong, Kowloon Bay, July 24, 1985, I decided to move to St. John, Newfoundland with my parents because of the freedom, education, and democracy. And, and I think Canada, St. John, Newfoundland, is more democracy, more freedom, more support than in China. Right. So for you, coming to Canada, there was more opportunity for you when you have autism. Correct. Right. 
So, Michael, how old were you when you first found out that you had autism? When I was a kid, I was running around, running around, energetic, and I couldn't see in the chip. I found out before I go into St. John's, probably six or seven years old. You know what? I found autism because I was of the speech delay therapy. I could not speak since I was six years old. I encountered this obstacle. Thank you to my mom bringing me in and out to speech therapy almost every day. And then I do school now and I do extracurricular activity, like extra tutoring, extra resources, extra support. So, so now you can speak two languages. Actually, I could speak one of the type of Chinese is Cantonese. I wish I could speak Mandarin, but so hard to speak. <laughs> well, you're doing great with two languages under your belt. Michael, when you came to Canada, you not only went to school, but you ended up getting a degree at university. Can you tell me about your experience at Memorial University? I'm a little different. I'm not a shy person, but I seek professor's help every single day in the office hours by email and office phone to get some help because I have no confidence to do all it by myself. So I went to the policy to give me some direction. I need extra help and some English courses. Like, really hard to write an opening sentence and an introduction, but after this English teacher gave me a guideline, a hint to start off, then I could do it after their part. Okay, so how important was it that your professors were so helpful to you? And why did, did you appreciate that help? Yes, I appreciate that. That's why I'm not my teaching excellence award. One teacher didn't win that year. I'm not giving it until this person wins. So you actually nominate the professors that have helped you so much because you appreciate their help. Do you sometimes find that people don't understand what autism is? Definitely. They think what my do is, is different. What I do is strange. Everybody is different. Everybody is different. But what are some of the things that you find hard in day-to-day -day life? What do you find difficult? Listening to instructions. Mm. But Michael, you said that sometimes people may not understand you, but you have so many friends. What does it mean to you to have such a supportive community around you? I want to make friends to share my autism. I want to they know different people who have obstacles. I'm hoping the friends will give me some good advice, some good knowledge that I could learn. That was such a great answer. I'll tell you what I share, my strategy to success. I, if I get stressed out, I go out for coffee, talk to friends, and when I go out, get the fresh air and seek counsel once a week. Yeah. And I went, went to play ping pong, table tennis, and I play piano and went fishing in the summer. But you know what? I know it's annoying for people, normal people, but... When I get upset, I talk to people. I talk to you. I talk to people because reduce the stress. Well, you, you have friends. You get outdoors. You go for walks. You are social. You talk to people. You play music. It sounds like you're a really well-rounded guy. How do you find the COVID-19 pandemic? Do you find that hard when you can't be out and be as social with people? And what would you tell people about how we get through it? 100%. Yes, I find it hard to get through it. But during COVID-19, I went out physical distance and walk myself in the nighttime. And I cook and bake. 
that's what I could do right now and help mom do the do, do the chores and do the schoolwork what the teacher gave me and I might and then I might talk to people and listen to the briefing what Dr. Fitzgerald said. That's right. That's good advice. Well, Michael, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. Thank you so much. I also thank you all the professor who has supported me, especially the Bears family, the Hollins family, Angie and Brooke and all the staff, Terrace Wonderspell, Mom and Dad foremost, and and everybody who have helped me for my 35 years. Thank you very much. I'm glad we could do this. Take care. Bye, buddy. Bye. That was Michael So sharing his experience with ASD. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Paul Walsh, the CEO of the Autism Society of Newfoundland and Labrador. He'll share more information on the work the Autism Society does here for our community. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're talking with Paul Walsh, CEO of the Autism Society of Newfoundland and Labrador. He's informing us about autism spectrum disorder and what it means for those that are living with it. Let's get back to our conversation. With these therapies, for example, I, I do some occupational therapists that work very closely with children with autism. What are some of the results that people can, can expect to see? Well, definitely with early intervention and ongoing support, persons with ASD can live full, productive, and independent lives. That's excellent. That's good news for you to hear. We've all heard before about vaccinations and the link to autism. Now, I've looked at the research. I know some of the faults with this, but what's the viewpoint of your society when it comes to the link between vaccines and autism? Well, let's go back to the history on this, and I don't want to be, sound flippant, but this all started because Jenny McCarthy said that was so on, on the Oprah show one day. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. In 1998, there was a gentleman by the name of Andrew Wakefield who published a series of articles in the medical journal, The Lancet, and he suggested this relationship. When the research was peer-reviewed, it was found to be wrought with a lot of difficulties, including small sample size, no group control, and afterwards, further studies were conducted that totally refuted that research. So the reality is, is that there is no connection between vaccines and autism, period. Mm-hmm. And this has been proven time and time again by properly peer-reviewed research that proper studies. So I can't emphasize enough, there's no connection. And if you want to bring it back to Jenny McCarthy, that she went out, she's, because she said it on the Oprah show, people believe this, but in reality, her son, this, whom she referred to, has actually his diagnosis is that of a brain injury. He is not autistic. So she wasn't even speaking about her son in the correct way. But unfortunately, because she said it, people believe it. So Right, right. And that's the responsibility people have when they have a voice is to make sure the right information is out there, which is why we have individuals like you on today. You know, when it comes to the Autism Society of Newfoundland, what specifically do you do for those families and individuals that have autism? So ASNL is the, the leader in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador in terms of engaging with policymakers, with uh, our partners, and we work very closely with the government of Newfoundland and Labrador and all of our partners to build programming and supports 
to allow persons with ASD to live rich, fulfilling lives. So we do a lot of programming. We enable people to get support. We provide awareness sessions for businesses, for families, for uh, public groups. The Lions Club want to come in and learn about autism and interacting with persons with autism. We're there to provide a wide range of topics, educational topics, and provide guidance for and assistance to bring a person through their lifespan of, of living with ASD. We help them create connections. We have navigators in place to help them work through the system to, that, to find where their uh, services are. And we partner with researchers to help further the uh, information that we know about autism. That's excellent. And if somebody needs support, how can they get a hold of your organization? Well, they can, they can contact us. If, um, well, I, I always start with online, and I'm always reluctant to start with online because lots of people don't like rooms and online. But I'll start there anyhow and say we do have a website at autism.nf.net. We have offices in St. John's, Clarenville, Grand Falls, Windsor, and Cornerbrook, and we have members and advisory councils throughout the province. If somebody wants to get in touch with our organization through our, our website by telephone, you can call to get the St. John's office, 722-2803. If they want to talk to me directly, they express, can press extension 222, and I'd love to talk to them. We have a talented, talented staff. I'm so blessed with the team we have of professionals that can assist people. Uh, they can drop in to the center when we're not under alert level five and uh, visit with us, or they can drop into any of the re regional offices to, uh, to talk to someone, and uh, we will uh, address any questions that they have at that time. I'm going to jump to something you just said, uh, you know, alert level five. You've expressed that there's some challenges with the pandemic, but what, what specifically are people struggling with when it comes to the lockdown if, if they have autism? Well, people on the spectrum, as we say, or with ASD, struggle with change. And if is there anything that the pandemic has brought in our lives, it's change. So especially when that change cannot be predicted and we can't prepare for it. So if you think back to Friday that uh, the uh, alert level five was announced, no one was expecting a press conference 8.30 on a Friday night. Right. And regardless if you uh, had ASD or not, there was a level of panic that went into everybody's mind when they saw that press release. And then... You know, Dr. Fitzgerald does such an amazing job for this province, but everybody kind of tensed with her words, we're back to alert level five. So that level of change is really hard for, for all of us. It's, it's even more difficult for persons with ESD. The pandemic created a lot of uncertainty in life, creates a lot of anxiety for everyone, including those with ASD. And we've heard from a lot of people in the community that they've experienced a regression in their behavior. That's a response to uncontrollable, unpredictable states. And what might be interpreted as regression is really just self-soothing behaviors that those we love seek, as those we love seek comfort from the familiar. And you know what, Mike, that's no different for all of us, regardless if we have ASD or not. Right, I know tensions are high for every single person. And I can only imagine that if, if uh, you have trouble facing change to begin with, that would be something that would be even more. So we should be compassionate towards those that are, that are uh, facing that challenge. You've probably guessed that autistic people are struggling with the drastic disruptions of the coronavirus pandemic, such as school and program closures and radically altered routines. 
So here's a few tips I found that might be helpful to parents. First, be patient. If you need time to adjust to the limits and demands of sheltering in place, your autistic loved one need even more time. Don't expect them to immediately take to new routines such as online learning or being housebound. Make their new routines as engaging as possible. Understand that some matters such as wearing a mask may never be possible for sensory reasons and find a way that using whatever communication style works best for you to say, are you ready for an activity or transition? You need to provide structure, including visual and other schedules. Be predictable and reliable. Make sure you adhere to that schedule and explain any changes before they happen, if possible. Maintain a calm and empathetic manner so your child doesn't inadvertently take on and amplify any difficult emotions that you may be dealing with yourself. You both may need more space than usual, and that's perfectly fine. Let your child stim. That could be rocking, hand flapping, or using a fidget, as long as they're self-regulating and not hurting themselves. We wouldn't want anybody judging our stress coping behaviors, so try to understand your autistic child's take on self-soothing. Be mindful of your child's social disposition. Some autistic individuals are introverts and content to stay at home and find their anxiety eases in the absence of unpredictable social dynamics, but many others are extroverts who miss their social lives. Make sure your child gets physically active, especially if the child is energetic. Any exercise or movement is good. Physical activity is crucial to many autistic people's ability to self-regulate. And finally, watch for subtle signs of sickness. Be aware that autistic people can't always perceive or express feeling ill, and they may not behave like a sick person. Some will implode when sick, and some will keep on as though they're not sick at all, and in some cases, autistic children with fevers may be more engaged or self-regulating than usual. It may help to establish your child's baseline temperature and monitor daily if you're afraid they're going to get sick. For more information, check out the Autism Society of Newfoundland and Labrador's webpage. Let's get back to our chat. If we have the highest rates in the country, what are some of the community issues that we need to bring to the surface when it comes to autism? Well, I think the biggest thing about autism in Newfoundland and Labrador and in Canada generally is awareness. Mm. Um, we talk often, and it's something that I've worked for a long time, about having an inclusive society. An inclusive society means that we need to be aware that there are differences and differences defined as broadly as you want to define that term. And that's why we have the awareness sessions that we have. So the more awareness people have that autism exists in our society, the better able, we're able as a society to assist those living with ASD as they work through their lives. We're talking with Paul Walsh, CEO of the Autism Society of Newfoundland and Labrador. He's informing us about autism spectrum disorder and what it means for those living with it. When we come back, he'll share more information on the work the Autism Society does for our community here at home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're talking with Paul Walsh, CEO of the Autism Society of Newfoundland and Labrador. He's informing us about autism spectrum disorder and what it means for those that are living with it. Let's get back to our conversation. What about school systems? How do teachers and the school system tackle this issue? 
we have a tremendous partnership with the Newfoundland Labrador English School District, as we do with the French School District. There are a number of supports, different professionals, itinerant teachers, uh, speech language pathologists, others that are in schools. You will hear from time to time people say there isn't enough. It's really hard to define what enough is, to be honest with you, but there are in every school supports. We go into schools as ASNL and do awareness sessions for professional development, for staff and whatnot. So the, the school district has done a tremendous job. We continue to partner with them in that work in putting supports in place. And again, working to raise awareness in the school system. You also mentioned research and how some of your funds go towards research. What, what's currently underway when it comes to autism? We do. Uh, we support uh, quite a bit of research that relates to, for example, ASD and housing and housing needs. There's an old adage in the disability community that doesn't necessarily relate just to persons with ASD, but for, for, for the parents of, of uh, children with disability, their goal in life is to live one day longer than their child so that they're always there to care for them. And we all know that that's not a reality. That quote I heard from a gentleman by the name of Randy Lewis, who, came, who spoke here about inclusion in business a couple of years ago. He's, he was the vice president of Walgreens in the U.S. So we're doing a lot of research with the medical school on autism, on the, on the, on the cause of autism. We don't do the research. We know that research is the purview of professionals and academics who do research. So we provide assistance to them and work with them to get the information they may need and build partnerships with them to, uh, to further this kind of research. And, and in order to do that, you need to have funding. How do you guys find the funding to keep uh, the Autism Society going? Um, our funding is a combination of uh, public and private sources. Uh, we have tremendous partnerships of which we are very proud and very lucky to have. Um, our principal partnership is with the Department of Health and Community Services and the Department of Child, Senior Social Development. Our other partnership is with the Department of Immigration, Skills and Labor. So those, those partnerships with government have, uh, we just have such a wonderful working relationship with them and we can't thank them enough for their ongoing work. As a group, we always say that we, that if, Regardless if it's public or private sources, if a dollar is invested in ASNL, we want to return a three to one ratio of return on that investment. Those are, mo those are often social uh, returns. They can also be economic returns through things like our social enterprise. Uh, we also have a number of private funders, tremendous philanthropists who have stepped up over the years to uh, support the work that we do. And again, we make the same commitment to them. They're all amazing partners throughout the, the business and private community in this province and indeed across the country. And uh, that we respect and, and their funds to the point that we provide a return to them, to the society, them for the money they put in. That's excellent. And if somebody wants to help, how can they get engaged? There's a number of levels, Mike. First and foremost, if I was, if, if there's anyone listening to me that doesn't, that isn't, doesn't have a knowledge of autism, I really encourage them to become more aware of autism. Call in, we can arrange an autism awareness session. Or just say, if they want something to read, we'll recommend them something that they can read. Create some awareness. We also have in St. John's, in our St. John's office, two social enterprises. One in particular that we have is called The Pantry. The Pantry is a cafe, and Chef Brenda Williams, I can tell you from the, uh, the aromas in the office, makes amazing food at the Pantry every day. It's open from 7.30 to, to 2 every day, 
We actually had our official opening two days before Alert Level 5, uh, our official reopening from the pandemic after a big renovation. So timing is everything. But we are still open for online ordering. We are still open for curbside delivery. Um, just to, if, any, if you can drop in and have a cup of coffee, you're mm. not only getting a great cup of coffee, but you're supporting to work with the Autism Society in doing so. That's excellent. And we're located, for anyone who doesn't know, we're located on Clinch Crescent, which is, is essentially on the university campus. It's right across from the Janeway. Uh, so it's very conveniently located if you happen to be in that area of town. Well, when I get back to the office, I'll have to pop over for a bite to eat because we are next door to you. Absolutely. <laughs> I look forward to that. Excellent. Uh, if, is there anything else you want to share as we're starting to wind down here? Like I said, I think the most important that, that, that I can share, share really is encouraging people to, be, to increase their awareness of autism, to understand that autism is, isn't a disease. It is something with which people live in their lives and that they can, that with the right supports in place, uh, we can build the, inc the inclusive society that we, uh, that, that we want and people can be, uh, have long, productive, independent lives. Um, and other than that, I, I welcome anyone who, to drop in to visit us, uh, to see the work that we do, to meet the people, um, and just to, to get a greater understanding of. And I mean, we have all kinds of outreach events during the year, suppers and dinners and, and whatnot. If you can participate in those, great. There's different events for different people's interests. So if it's a, if it's a afternoon tea or if it's a lobster boil or if it's a sandwich at the pantry, you're not only participating from the point of view of getting a return from that, but it, it's, a, it's a learning opportunity for everyone to, uh, to engage more in what we do at ASNL. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing such an important message with everybody listening. I really appreciate the opportunity, Mike. Thank you to Paul and Michael for joining me today. Autism is a way of life for those with ASD. Today's episode may have exposed you to information about autism for the first time or just scratched the surface for those of you who know it well. Remember that the strongest people are not always those that show strength in front of us, but those who win battles we know nothing about. For those that have had an experience with autism either themselves or through a friend or loved one, you realize that autism is quite simply seeing the world in a different way, and we should seek to understand that, just like we'd want others to understand our perspective. If you want to stay up to date on our upcoming episode, key takeaways, and other things that we're up to, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at wall underscore show, remember that's W-A-H-L show, and on our Facebook page. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.